The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Take your Bibles with me. Let's go to Luke chapter 9. That's where we're going to begin this morning at Luke chapter 9. We've been, we've been talking for several weeks. I've been teaching concerning the marks of success. And uh, not that there are secrets to success, but the Bible gives us examples. Paul said that you have us for examples. Uh, the Bible gives us ex- examples of, of people who were successful in their Christian walk. And we're to emulate those men as much as we can. And uh, so we've been looking at several different aspects of the the lives of men who are successful in the scriptures. Uh, We've talked about several different things. Today I'm going to begin a subsection of that, and we're going to talk today about the tests of discipleship. Uh, And these tests are not so that I can know whether you're a disciple, a faithful disciple, but they're they're for self-examination. The tests we're going to talk about over the next several lessons are designed so that you can test yourself, so that you can examine your own life. So I'm not giving you these things today so you can apply them to other people. So you can look at other people and say, well, he's not a very good disciple. Because if you do that, I'm going to tell you something. If you do that, you're not a very good disciple. Okay, so these are, these are self-tests designed to help me to look at my own life and my own heart and find out whether or not I am the kind of disciple I should be. So let's look at Luke chapter 9 together. We'll begin at verse number 18. We read, And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? They answering said, John the Baptist. But some say Elias, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Help us, Father, today to glean from your word and learn the things that we need to be stronger in our faith, more diligent in our service, and faithful in our stewardship to to you and to those around us. Thank you for this time now. We ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Too often today, men apply the world's philosophies when measuring the service of another person. We we tend to be a little bit harsh when we judge others, don't we? For instance, it's been my experience over the 33 years I've been in the ministry that the pastor's children or the deacon's children are under a greater scrutiny 
than our own children. We'll, we'll overlook the faults and weaknesses in our own children, but we will come down like paratroopers on the pastor if his children don't walk the way we think that they should walk. So there's a, a somewhat of an inequitable application, if you will, of the measuring stick. You know, in we have we have measurements, measuring sticks, rulers and things such as that. And I used to I used to teach my high school students. It's important that we have a standard. Because without a standard, I may come up to you and say, This is a foot. And you may say, No, this is a foot. And if we don't have something whereby we can judge as a standard, what happens? If I say, Give me a give me 18 inches of rope, you bring me four inches, that's not going to work, is it? But we do have a standard. To measure and judge our Christian walk, we do have a standard. Anyone know what that standard is? The standard is Jesus Christ, is it not? The Bible talks about a just weight and balance. And who is it talking about? It's talking about Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today, and forever. So if we're going to judge ourselves, if we're, going to, if we're going to try to compare ourselves, let us not compare ourselves to one another. But let us compare ourselves to the perfect, righteous Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number, or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. So Paul said, listen, I don't determine my, my, uh, uh, my righteousness. I don't determine my walk with God by comparing myself to you. You may be stronger in some areas of life than I am. I may be stronger in my area of life than you are. But it's an unjust balance, it's an unjust weight if we compare ourselves among ourselves. But that's human nature, isn't it? It's human nature to look down at other people if they don't meet the standards that we feel are appropriate, even though we don't meet those standards ourselves. But we give ourselves some, some leadway, right? Well, I didn't read my Bible today, but that's okay. I'll, I'll read double tomorrow. And we won't, but that's okay. But if we find out somebody else went two or three days without reading their Bible, oh, they don't love God. They don't love the Lord. And what is created in our country is a generation of people who do exactly what Paul said. They compare themselves among themselves. They judge themselves by themselves. And that's not wise. So we're to, we're to test our discipleship. We're to, everybody, listen, I think probably most Christians would consider themselves a disciple of Christ. Now we may be students of Christ, and we may be followers of Christ, but are we disciples of Christ? Are we disciplined, obedient followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, that's something we ought to know, right? 
Do, do you agree with me that we should know, we should have an ability to, to, to make sure that we are the type of people we ought to be? Well, of course that's true. And, and the Bible gives us certain, certain areas to test our discipleship, to test our, our, our faithfulness, to test our diligence and all these things. So over the next several lessons, we're going to, we're going to take some time to do that. And thus far in our, in our studies, we've defined a disciple. We have identified the marks of a disciple. We've discovered the why of being a disciple. And so now I'd like to turn to the, to discuss the tests of discipleship. In other words, grade our discipleship. Now when I taught in our high school, some of you, well no, 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 I don't think any of my students were here. Yeah, Dalton was one of my students. I don't know about anybody else here. The teenagers are, are in their class, they were all my students. But when I, when I taught in the high school, I would issue a report card, that dreaded, horrible event that happened four times a year, the report card. And when I issued a report card to the high school students, there were several categories I would consider. Uh, for instance, I considered the work that they had done in the classroom, in the lessons. I consider how diligent were they at their homework. I gave, them, I gave them a grade for homework and how much effort they put into it. And, and I could tell, of course, you know, a teacher can tell how much effort was put in to a, a book report. Because if you go to Google and Google the subject, you're likely to get the exact report out on the screen. And we, we call that what? Anyone knows what that's called? Plagiarism, yes. We, we talked about that many times. Um, so we would grade that. I, I would grade, uh, I would consider the work they had done on projects associated with the lessons. I considered scores that they earned on the quizzes that we would, that we would take from time to time to measure the progress. I would consider the final score on the test. Uh, and all of these together, I would use to, to determine what grade they deserved and what grade I would give them on their report cards. Now, let us consider that for a moment concerning our discipleship. How, how are we going to grade our discipleship? How are we going to assign ourselves a grade for uh, our, our assertion that we are disciples of Christ? Well, there are several categories that we need to consider. And I, I've noted seven categories. We're not going to get to all of them today. I'm going to try to get through two of them today. But I've noticed several, seven different categories that we can test ourselves to determine, are we good disciples? Are we poor disciples? Where can we get better? Where can we improve these things? So this morning, I want to begin with category number one. And category number one is the test of obedience. The test of obedience. Now, certainly, if we are going to claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, then we, we must be obedient to him, right? I don't think you can claim to be an, a, a disciple of Christ if you fail in this area of obedience. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, we read, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, What did they say? We ought to obey God rather 
than men. Now, the first true test of discipleship is this area of obedience. The true disciple of Christ does not base his decisions on what man says or what man may think. Instead, the true disciple of Jesus Christ bases his decisions on what God says, on God's opinions. We have a society today that gets their priorities and determines right and wrong from people like Dr. Phil, people like Oprah Winfrey. Huh? They're, they're at a point in their life to make major decisions and they tune in to Dr. Phil and listen to what he has to say or, or they tune in to Oprah and hear what she has to say. And listen, I'm not even saying Dr. Phil and Oprah Winfrey aren't, aren't good people. I'm not saying they're evil, wicked people going out to, to destroy people's lives. But they are men, right? They're, they're human and they're basing their opinions on their life experiences. We all have different life experiences. I, I grew up, for instance, in, a, in what, would, what I would call a fully functional home. My, my mother and father loved us, and they, 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 I never, I've never in my entire life heard my mother and father have a, have a, a harsh word for one another. We grew, I grew up in a home filled with love, filled with discipline, though. My daddy wasn't a pushover. He he was a former drill sergeant, and he knew how to get your attention quickly and hold it. But I have different life experiences probably than some of you. Some of you may have grown up in, in broken homes. Some of you may have grown up in, in, in different situations. And your set of life's experiences and my life's experiences are different. So I may do something differently than you do it, and vice versa. So we can't base our decisions in life, we can't set our priorities based upon our own experiences. They may factor in, but here is where we have to get the opinions that we base our life upon. And this is what, this is what Peter and John and the other apostles were telling the, the high priest. Listen, they said, we have to obey God. Rather than men. You tell us don't preach in the name of Christ. Well, God's word tells us to preach in the name of Christ. Therefore, we're going to make our decision based upon what God says. We're going to be obedient to God instead of being obedient to man. So, allow me to share a few thoughts here concerning this matter of obedience. Obedience, first of all, should come from the heart. Now, it's one thing to obey because you have to obey. But it's another to, be, to obey because you desire to obey. And this is what God desires for his children. He wants our obedience, whether that obedience is, is out of fear or out of love. He wants our obedience. But he really desires that you and I learn to be obedient from our heart. In Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, Paul writes... But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. 
Do you see what Paul said there? He said, ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. What, how do you react to preaching? Let me ask you that. How do you react to preaching? I remember when I, when I had just gotten saved and started attending church. It seemed like every message that I heard was aimed right at me. I would sit there in that pew and I would say, man, this guy's talking about me. And, and that's the way I felt. And I would get hammered and I would get hammered and I would get hammered. Sometimes I'd leave, I'd leave church and say, man, I just don't know how long I can take this. I'd go home and I'd study the word of God and I'd pray. And in my heart, in my heart, I wanted to be the kind of person God wanted me to be. And I began to obey God from the heart. I began to put away things in my life that didn't belong there. I shouldn't be there. May have been things I enjoyed, may have been things I I had pleasure in, but they, they were things that I had to put aside. And from my heart, I desired to obey the Lord. And that's the way... A true disciple is. A true disciple desires to obey from his heart. Not because he has to, but because he can. You see, I don't don't have to come to church today. I get to come to church today. I don't have to submit to the word of God. I am enabled by God to submit to his word. And from the heart, we learn to obey Obedience should come from the heart. Now, the heart, of course, implies the secret man. We should obey God from our innermost self. It is that part of man that no one sees except God. It is not that obedience that is offered in the sight of men. We all understand what what I'm talking about here, right? I hate to use the word, but it's the word hypocrisy. We get up on Sunday morning and we put on nice clothes and, and we, we march ourselves to church and we come and we sit in the pews and we sing the hymns and, and we, we say amen to the preaching and, and we do all these things and then we leave and go home and for the rest of the week we live to please the flesh and the desires of our flesh. That's, see, that's not, that's not obeying from the heart. That's a superficial obedience. Jesus talked about, do you remember in scripture how Jesus talked about how the Pharisees loved to stand in the, in the marketplaces and, 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 and proclaim their righteousness and show everybody how, how righteous they were? What did Jesus say about them? What did he say? Inward, outwardly you appear as white as sepulchers, but inwardly you are filled with what? Dead man's bones and all uncleanness. See, that's not obedience from the heart. That's, 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 that's obedience to be seen of men. And God doesn't honor that. So obedience must come from the heart. We, we must learn to do right when nobody sees it. Hmm? It's, it's easy to do right when people are watching and you're going to get praised for it. But when nobody sees it and, 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 and nobody will ever know about it. We do right. And that's obedience from the heart. That's obedience from the heart. So we must, we must, our 
must come from the heart. But then secondly, obedience should endure the test of time. If, if we're going to be disciples of Christ, then we must continue to walk in righteousness. We must continue to resist sin. Anybody can do anything for a short period of time, right? Anybody can obey God for a day or two or a week or two. But what about year after year after year after year after year? Offering our obedience to Christ. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Paul is talking here about enduring hardship. He's talking about enduring temptations. He's talking about enduring trials and, and not quitting. And one day we will reap the rewards of that life. And, and we will be in the presence of Christ and we will hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Paul says, don't be weary in well-doing. Don't quit. Don't give up. You see, a, a disciple, a true disciple, his obedience to God endures the test of time. He can't be worn down and, and he can't be beaten down by, by this world or the philosophy of this world. Now, we all grow tired, right? Huh? Anybody here would dare to raise their hand and say, I've never grown tired of the Christian life? I couldn't say that. I've, ha I've had times when I wanted to just throw it all in. But then I'm reminded of God's grace and I'm reminded of God's mercy and his goodness to us. And God is always good, by the way. I had someone came to me one day and they said, God is so good because they, they got some money they weren't expecting. God is so good. And they were all excited. I said, let me tell you something. God is good even if you don't get that blessing. God is always good. God is good, if you, God is good if you're living in poverty. You see, we judge God's goodness by how much we have. But the truth of the matter is we deserve nothing. He owes us nothing. And he's given us eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What more can we want? God is always good. But we do have moments in our lives when the burdens of life outweigh us. But you see, a true disciple will not, his obedience to God will endure the test of time. There's an old adage that states, when the going gets tough, the tough tuck tail and run. That's not what it says. It says, when the going gets tough, the tough Get going. Adversity should not break down our obedience to God. If anything, it should cause us to do even more for the Lord Jesus Christ. We must endure. So obedience comes from the heart. Obedience should endure the test of time. And then thirdly, obedience is above sacrifice. Obedience is above sacrifice. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, we all know this, this, this story. In 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22, 
We read, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Now listen to me very carefully. There are people all over this country today who are going to go to church services and believe that by going to that church service, they are pleasing the Lord. All the while, they're lying, they're stealing, they're cheating, they're, they're, they're having affairs against their spouse, they're, 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 they're going home and, and failing to love their children, and, and, and they're going home and gossiping about people in the church. See, they're offering, they, they believe a sacrifice, taking a, a couple of hours on a Sunday and going to church, they believe that little sacrifice is what God wants, but God doesn't want that. He wants us to be, he wants us to sacrifice, he wants us to do these things, but what does he desire, first of all? Our obedience, that we would live righteous and holy, that's what he desires. Many today try to excuse away their disobedience by offering God sacrifices in its place. And as I said, I think it is great to serve the Lord. However, if your heart is filled with disobedience to God, what good is the service? It becomes vain works. When we stand before the Lord, this is the wood, hay, and stubble that's going to burn up and be consumed. It's only those works that are done in obedience to Christ that will, be, that will endure the, and, and, and come forth as silver, gold, and precious jewels. So the first category this morning that I, I want you to consider when you, when you consider your discipleship to, to Christ, the first category is the category of obedience. Measure your obedience to God today. Test your obedience today. Are you an obedient child as, as you ought to be? Am I an obedient child? Now, now don't, don't, don't test your wife's obedience or your husband's obedience. Don't test your children's obedience Test your own. Are you an obedient child? Are you obedient to Christ? Does your obedience come from your heart? Or is it, or is it simply superficial to be seen of men and, and so you can get patted on the back and you can get some praise? Is your, does your obedience endure the test of time or, or do, you, do you give up and, and, and fail? Are you, are you mistaking sacrifice? Are you mistaking works for obedience? But then the, there's a second category I want to look at this morning. And that is the test of faithfulness. The test of faithfulness. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 and 46, we read, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Second, this morning, we must consider the matter of faithfulness. By faithfulness, I mean a strict adherence to the allegiances and the duties of the child of God. Now, of course, there are numerous areas of our lives in which we must be faithful. I mean, 
I, I wouldn't. I could. I could teach probably a year's worth of lessons just on this one point of faithfulness. However, for the, the sake of time, I'm going to focus this morning on three areas of faithfulness in the life of the, of, the, of the child of God today in our time. So first is this, should be faithful in our giving. Faithful in our giving. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, we read, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Now, it's important here this morning that I stress that God does not need your money. God isn't sitting in heaven with a stack of bills that he can't pay, and he says, well, i got to get my people to give. i got to get my children to give. That's, that's not the whole thing at all. This goes back to that obedience, right? We prove our love to God by our willingness to give, and not just of our money, by the way, but in every aspect of our lives. You see, I, I know, I've known some Christians over the years who won't lift a finger to to do anything in the church, but they'll give. They'll give, but their faithfulness to God is non-existent. Now, praise the Lord, they give, but God wants more than you. God doesn't need your money. That's not the purpose behind it. He needs your heart. He needs your obedience. In Psalm chapter 50, verses 9 through 12, uh, we know this story. David needs to make an offering to the Lord. And Nabob is going to give him the threshing floor and the instruments for the offering and sacrifice and everything else. And what does David say? Listen to what he says. If you want to, you can turn to it. Psalm 50. Psalm's an easy book to find. It's right in the middle. Psalm number 50. We'll begin in verse 9. He writes here, I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goes out of thy folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills... I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. So here we see God explaining to to David that I I don't need your money. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. All the beasts of the forest are mine. He says, if I'm hungry, I'm not going to come crying to you. All the world is mine, he says, and the fullness thereof. So God doesn't need your money. That's not the purpose in, 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 in this test of obedience. It's not the purpose in this test of faithfulness. It's, it's for, and it, by the way, it's also not for God to discover the truth about your heart, because he already knows what you are in your heart. He created you. He knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. Matter of fact, you lie to yourself all the time. And you convince yourself of your lies, but you can't lie to God. He's not deceived. He knows you. Why, so why all these tests? Well, be, to prove to you. To expose yourself to you. To show you what you are and who you are. You see, we, we like to think the best of ourselves. But if the truth be known, all of us here, all of us here, and I... Matter of fact, the Bible says all of our works are as what? Anybody tell me? 
filthy rags unto God. The best, the absolute best life that I can offer God is nothing but a filthy rag. That's all it is. His righteousness is so beyond my righteousness. His holiness is so above anything that I can do. So that the reason for all of this is not so you can prove to God what you are. It's so God can expose you to you. So he can show you what you are. He doesn't need our money. That's not the purpose in in our giving. Our faithfulness proves to us what we are. Just Just as with obedience, giving reveals our heart. In Matthew chapter 6, we read, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Giving reveals your heart. And again, we're talking about more than money. We're talking about giving of your time, giving of your talent. This reveals your heart to you. And who does it reveal it to? It doesn't reveal it to God. It reveals it to you. It shows you what kind of heart you have. Giving reveals our heart. But then also giving is equitable. I don't believe I have these points on your study sheets, but giving reveals your heart, but it's also equitable. In, in Luke chapter 21, we read, And he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites, or two pennies. And he said, Of a truth I say unto you, that this poor widow cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast in unto the offerings of God. But she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. Giving is equitable. God, God, in other words, in monetary giving, God asks for a tithe, 10%. If you make $100,000 a year, your tithe is $10,000. If someone else makes $5,000 a year, their tithe is $500. You say, well, I gave $9,500 more than them. Yeah, but you only gave 10%. And so did they. So it's equitable. Same thing comes with your, with, your, with your labors, with your talents. We all enjoy this beautiful building, the nice air conditioning. You know, you know what it would be like in this building with no air conditioning? wouldn't be very pleasant, would it? And we enjoy all these things. We, we enjoy the cleanliness of the building and all of these things. But what do we contribute to this? Hmm? The Bible talks about the people of God having their sealed houses while the house of God lay in waste. We need to, we need to be faithful and, and giving is equitable. Second, I'll hurry through. Second, we should be faithful in our service. And this is what I'm talking about, the equity, the sincerity of, of doing what we do. Did God give you a talent? Do you have ability to sing? We have a choir. We, we, need, we need help. We, we have things such as that. Be faithful in your service. And then, thirdly, we need to be faithful in our living. Faithful in our living. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Now, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And we need to test, test our faithfulness in our living. Test our faithfulness in our, in our willingness to give, in our willingness to serve, and in, our, in, in the life that we live. I don't have time today, to, this morning, to go through all of the, the things I'd like to say. But we're talking about, we're talking about the, the test of our discipleship. We, we, we claim to be disciples of Christ. And we may be able to deceive others around us. But God says, judge your own hearts. Judge yourself that you be not judged. So for several weeks, we're going to talk about judging ourselves, not the person next to us, not the person across from us, but me. I'm going to judge myself. I'm going to test my own self as to the, as to the truth of my discipleship. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.